Hey there, and welcome to the Failure Guy podcast. This is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. Join me as we take a look into the darker side of success. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Hey there, and welcome to the Failure Guy podcast. This is Ben Carrier, and I'm here with uh, Brian Wrights. Am I saying that? I say Ritz, like the cracker or hotel. Oh, nice. That's, yeah, phonetically how most people would say it. Okay, so, so Brian Ritz. Um, and you are, we were just talking a little bit, you're from uh, New York, well, you're from Texas originally, but now you're in New York. Is that right? That's correct, and I'm here in perpetuity. Perpetuity? That was a failure. <laughs> uh, until, I guess, you know, it's safe to visit family again. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. I was mentioning I'm from Boston originally, and it's it's tough not being able to go visit family and stuff because of everything that's going on. It's not uh not ideal, and there's definitely some restaurants and stuff I miss from back home that I'd love to to go try, but I'm a little bit uh, removed from that, and I don't know when I'll be able to get back there. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to to talk about uh, failures, and I guess the flip side of that being successes, and kind of what. Yeah, I guess what we're doing here. Absolutely. So uh, before we get into some of the more low points of of your career, you want to give uh, the listeners just a little bit about yourself and what you're doing and and some of maybe the highlights uh, before we get into, you know, some of the more lowlights, so to speak. Sure. Uh, Well, you mentioned I'm in New York. I moved here a little over two years ago now, about two and a half years, kind of feels a bit longer, especially because of the whole uh, pandemic situation. But uh, I am a marketer by trade. I've worked at um, a company recently called Influencer DB, which is a tech platform. Uh, and basically, I was involved with getting them new business. Uh, obviously, I don't work there anymore, which means I wasn't doing a great job. And uh, since then, I've been really just focused on a podcast that I host called How Cool Is This, which is a five-minute show that takes in ideas. And then we, my co-host and I just talk about you know, how cool is this? And uh, that's the gist of it. And then I've been kind of haphazardly looking for new work and just figuring out what I'm doing with my life. And then before that, you mentioned I lived in Texas, where I was doing a lot more marketing related work there as well. And then I went to journalism school, which is a field that is not as, I wouldn't even say lucrative, but you know, you didn't, you don't go to journalism school expecting to make money, but you would think that there would be work on the other side of it. And that wasn't as uh, likely as I anticipated. And I'm sure many as well did it too. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure journalism and journalism has been hurting lately. It's kind of been a, an industry that's uh, struggled and also been bastardized a lot by people kind of taking over journalism and using it for, for, you know, evil, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, it's weird because the skills that you learn that that school are very valuable and that's kind of what's in demand more than anything right now, which is, you know, like, identifying what's real and kind of getting the truth out of people and you know creating content quote unquote but the ideals of journalism the ethics of it are uh, not as widespread as they maybe once were and you know i think history's you overlook maybe some of the the negative parts of it yeah absolutely i'm curious what got you interested in journalism uh originally it was because i wanted to be a professional athlete 
Uh, and then, you know, I, I realized pretty quickly that I, I wasn't the guy for that. I think a lot, <laughs> a lot of people have that realization, but I was like, okay, I want to hang out around athletes. So I started doing uh, sports journalism and I was like, maybe I can be in the locker room, like a total loser. That's a, <laughs> you know, that's a negative thinking I'm having, but anyway, and then I kind of did that and I went to, I was in the newspaper and uh, the yearbook in high school. And then I went to journalism school and kind of just realized midway through that, even though I liked telling people stories that it wasn't really the path that I knew would work for me long-term. And yeah, I, I actually lately in the last like six months, I've been thinking, Oh, I should get back into this because nobody trusts the news anymore. So maybe I can be the one who they'll trust, but <laughs> I, I think I need to really just not let my mind wander so much. Yeah. So did you realize that journalism might not be as good of a career path? So you pivoted to do more marketing and maybe you could, you know, in, you know, kind of inject some of that storytelling into your marketing copy or whatever it is you, you know, you were trying to sell? Uh, it was more along the lines of I did an internship and I kind of liked it, but I, at the end of it, I just realized that, uh, you know, the person I was working for had kids and you didn't really get to spend time with them. And I kind of just thought, uh, even at the time, you know, you're 18, you don't think that you're not thinking about planning a family. At least I wasn't, maybe some people in Texas are and were, that's a place where people get married younger uh, than where I am now, which is uh, people kind of, keep from that but um i kind of just realized you know at long term i'm probably gonna have to get some office job and just press buttons and then come home and be unhappy and you know (laughs) like the the american dream so uh then i looked at what my skill set was and i I said i guess i'm doing marketing so that's really uh that perspective has really just informed my whole career and it's probably why i'm still looking for work Uh, yeah well i know i know that game i i you probably don't know but something I've, I've mentioned before is I've been fired from every job I've ever had, which has been so far five different jobs in finance and accounting. I'm on my sixth job. Thankfully that's going well, but it can be really defeating, especially in corporate America to keep kind of trying and then running up against the wall of, of not being accepted or not wanting to be accepted, whatever it is, like something about me and corporate America don't really jive, but it can be tough, especially when you have, you know, high opinion of yourself, but then, maybe the rest of the world doesn't value you, you know, in that Yeah, there's a, way. a huge cognitive dissonance there. And I've encountered that as well, especially when uh, you start to tie your identity in, into your work. So, you know, the first question people ask is, what do you do? And, you know, you usually say, oh, I'm Brian, I work at this uh, company and I do this. Uh, and then when you don't work at that company anymore, you're like, uh, I'm Brian. <laughs> uh, and when I say you, obviously not you, yeah, you yeah. probably don't say that. I hope not. For sure. It'd be r- roughly similar. It's rough when you kind of tie your identity into into what you do for a living. And a lot of times in America, people like to do that. Yeah. But then on the other side, it's kind of like corny to be like, I, you know, I'm, you see people's Twitter bios and they're like, uh, father, husband, eggplant or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. And maybe just me having that negative attitude about it is part of the reason too that I'm not working. Like you almost have to have the sense of like, you have to buy into the system, quote unquote. I sound like a lunatic, but you have to like buy into that to like really thrive in there. And I haven't really found myself doing that. I, I, the excuse I've given myself is that I like, you know, I tell the truth to people who are lying to themselves, but realistically it's that I guess I haven't, you know, positioned myself as a valuable employee to somebody who needs work. Well, I'm curious because, so I, I used to live in Boston and I moved out to Colorado. You used to live in Texas and you moved to New York. And I've always thought that the East Coast, both both Boston and New York, are a little bit more 
cold in terms of personality and strangers even talking to each other and stuff like that. It's kind of like if you're asking for directions, you're wasting their time and ruining their day. Uh, I feel like a lot of people are kind of head down and doing their own thing. Did you experience that when you moved from Texas to New York? Because when I went from Boston to Colorado, I found myself talking to a lot more strangers and interacting with people more because it seemed like people were more open to that. I don't know if you found the reverse of that when you moved in. Yeah, I mean, I would say initially, and I expected that, and I kind of sought that out in some regards, uh, where uh, I kind of wanted to be, uh, you know, like, not that I wasn't ever a nobody, but I wanted to be kind of a nobody. I wanted to, like, you know, like anyone moves to a place like New York, you know, you want to make a name for yourself or something. And uh, I kind of expected that and encountered that. I would say, actually, in the last six months, ever since the uh, city all kind of had to uh, hunker down and put on masks, everyone's been a lot more friendly and inviting. And part of the reason that that coldness exists was because of uh, just the vast amounts of tourists and people who are in the way where it's like, if you're on your way to work and you don't have a car because most people here don't have cars and there's someone who's like taking a selfie, uh, you're going to get pissed off in the same way that if you're driving on a highway to your office and then there's like a car that's stopped, you're like, ah, I need to get to work. Someone's going to yell at me if I don't get there in time. And then you kind of trickle down that dickishness. Yeah. I think I kind of liked it, though, because at least when someone was telling you something that you knew they were telling you the truth, you know, it can kind of be tough when people are always nice to know what they really think, you know, so sometimes I'm a little bit too honest at work or wherever, where I'll be like, oh, that idea is horrible. Not you. You're not horrible, but the idea is bad. And that is always taken wrongly. I feel like when I was back in Boston, people were more receptive to that because that was kind of how everybody talked. But I got to be more careful, you know, in my interactions uh, outside of the East Coast. Yeah. And I mean, I would say even uh, in addition to that, like I moved here originally because I thought there'd be more opportunity and there was uh, generally, but since the pandemic started, that's kind of shifted in the sense that with, with everybody working from home, it seems like why would anybody hire someone who pays, who lives in a high cost of living and demands a higher salary when they could hire someone with the same skill set uh, in the middle of a cheaper to live place. Yeah. And maybe again, probably excuses than telling myself, but well- who knows? I'm wondering what kind of changes we'll see just in general for um, office work and other things like that when, you know, physical re- space is not a, a requirement or real estate is not a big thing. I'm, I'm curious how things will evolve if companies start to stick with that path, even if, you know, things clear up. Well, a lot of office work is bullshit, too, which we kind of realized yeah. uh, six months ago. Like everyone's now just uh, my girlfriend's working and uh, I don't want to put words in her mouth. But from my perspective, it seems that. Uh, a lot of people schedule meetings to justify their desk more so than they actually like have anything to talk about. Yeah. And a lot of times that's where they can get the FaceTime and, and be seen as doing something, whereas they might feel like they're not doing as much else. So it kind of gives them that sense of that something's happening and they're, they're pushing something forward. But a lot of times you just seem to be wasting time in a lot of those meetings. Which doesn't mean it is, but I, I think maybe I'm finding like even through the processes of this, because you know, we're talking, I, I feel like I'm talking to you, like I'm talking to someone on the phone, which I guess we are mm-hmm. you know, remote, but I kind of forget that we're recording and uh, I'm catching myself after I'm talking and I'm saying like, oh, you know, I probably shouldn't say that. I come off like this and I come off like this. And I think maybe I just need to approach these things with a more positive attitude. Yeah. I mean, that's always a struggle depending on, you know, what's going on too, because sometimes when things in general seem negative, it can be hard not to let that, you know, flow into some of your outlook on things. But, you know, it's nice to, at least I err on the side of being very honest and vulnerable, 
but it's taken a long time to get there. And, you know, I don't even have that a lot in some of my other aspects of life. So it still takes time, but, you know, trying to find some of those positive things is super, super important, I think. And I think your podcast actually probably highlights some of those positive things in the world. Cause I was listening to a bunch of the episodes uh, today and it's really cool how you guys outsource the idea creation piece, but then also kind of evaluate it and also put it out there into the world to see if, you know, if there's any kind of interest, I think that's a really cool idea. Cause a lot of people kind of grow up inventing stuff in their mind or in, you know, their bedroom or whatever. And, uh, and a lot of times they just have these ideas that they're never going to do anything with, but you might as well put them out there to see if, if it's of interest to anyone, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, the idea was kind of, I would say two or threefold when we started the first, obviously being that uh, a lot of people have really good ideas, but they don't have the resources or the network to make them happen. So it's kind of a place where people can send those ideas in and uh, hopefully someone out there will make it happen. Uh, yeah, I don't know, you know, the long-term if like that actually happens and it turns into a big company and there's like an IP dispute. I don't really, <laughs> we didn't plan yeah. for that. This is just a podcast, but uh, the second part of it was just like this element of, uh, especially working in marketing where like everyone's kind of chasing that, like what's cool and whatever, and doing a lot of self-examination. Uh, I kind of realized that for me, and I know a lot of other people, especially people who have like grown up using Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, uh, that like the idea of what is cool or what is, what does it mean to be cool has for better or worse for me, something that I've chased more than I realized I should have. And it, is something that I kind of, I realized was affecting the way that I acted for better or worse. So, and, and at an intrinsic level, I think most people are whatever their version of that striving to that, but uh, I'm trying to do a better job of making that something that is defined by me rather yeah. than defined by what I saw in a movie or mm-hmm. what quote unquote society tells me. Do you think either, uh, so there's two different options of how I could see it going. Meaning uh, if you're interested in journalism and marketing, you could maybe put more stock and more uh, emphasis on what is cool from a public social perspective, or maybe you went into journalism and marketing so you could kind of control that narrative and change what is or isn't cool. Do you think either of those might've been something that influenced you either one way or the other? I mean, I would say that I just always have been curious and ask questions. And I think I was kind of like, people around me were like, you should do this. And then I did it. And then I started to find myself that way uh, originally. And then when it wasn't, you know, viable career option, that's when I pivoted. But uh, I would say from that coolness perspective, it just kind of stemmed from not being cool in high school or middle school mm-hmm. where, you know, you want what you don't have. So in middle school, I didn't really, I had like three friends uh, and or at least three friends. I, I, like the memory that I have is, you know, I, I had a few people to eat lunch with, but uh, eventually they got more friends or, you know, like they, they they were invited to tables with girls and then I didn't have that. And then eventually it's like, I didn't really have anyone to eat with, which mm-hmm. was something that I think a lot of people probably have, whether it's their middle school lunch experience or in general, people have felt left out. So, uh, you know, that probably shaped me more than I realized in the next 10 years of my life yeah. trying to you know not be excluded. Yeah. Plus it can come, it can look like it's come so easily to other people and it's like, what is, what <laughs> what's the secret formula that, that allows me to unlock that ability, you know? And I I was in the same position. I went to uh, an all guys Catholic high school, so there wasn't any women there, but if there were, I probably would have felt even worse about the fact that I, you know, 
didn't have many friends and only had, you know, a pretty small social circle. And especially for a school that's all guys where there's a lot of sports and stuff like that, you know, to your point, I wasn't very good at the sports side. I think I was the president of the mini golf team or something, but that's about it. <laughs> so it's, you know, trying to figure out, well, in high school, you can't really define that as much, but then when you get older, you can kind of figure out well, what is cool to me and how can I pursue that in a way that doesn't like be a detriment to my own personality and self-worth kind of feeling. Yeah. And that's something that I, I think a lot of people blame social media for. And I, I feel like social media is more of a conduit to a deeper issue. Like uh, another thing that I have been uh, kind of dealing with is I used to drink alcohol uh, extensively and I have since stopped uh, and hopefully but I will continue to have stopped. You know, yeah. I have to take it a day at a time. But something that somebody told me in an A, or he told the group in an AA meeting uh, a couple of weeks ago was that uh, a lot of people view alcohol as a problem, uh, but it's more of a solution. And it's not a good solution, but it's the problem is something deeper. Yeah. And I feel like that with social media as well. Uh, for me, it was like kind of helping me. It was like, there's a Kanye West lyric that he's like using Instagram to crowdsource my self-esteem that mm. I think probably relates to a lot of people. I know a lot of people don't like Kanye. Uh, I'm not going to comment on his political <laughs> views, but uh, that was a lyric that resonated with me of his. Yeah. Do you think, because um, I've also struggled with, you know, alcohol and other addictions of, of sorts, gambling, whatever, you know, different things to make me feel good. Do you think that was from a sense of lack in terms of that social aspect or, in a, or kind of lubricated the wheels of, of, you know, being more social in crowds and stuff like that? Because I think that was part of it for me, but I don't know if it was more about uh, other things that drove you towards that or what would be involved. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's how, that's how it started. Like I didn't, I didn't, uh, my first kiss wasn't until my prom, which is I think the age of 18, uh, a little later than a <laughs> lot of people. Uh, so uh, I, you know, alcohol helped me get into situations where that happened more uh, and then kind of became like I, then I kind of got to a point where it's like, I can't really talk to people unless I have alcohol. And then eventually, you know, I kind of got that under control, but then it became like, oh, I'm this person's drinking buddy and then this person's drinking buddy. And then suddenly, uh, like I never had friends and now I have like all these friends, but the, like the one time of the week that they get blitz, I'm doing it with them. And it just wasn't really sustainable. Yeah. Boy, what, okay. But I was going to say some, something that you had said earlier that kind of sparked something in me was like the journalism. Is that something that was born out of not you know, socializing with people much. And the more I think about it, the, it probably was where, you know, if you don't really have a big social group, but then you're like, suddenly you're like, I'm with the newspaper, I'm with the student news newspaper that kind of gives you in some weird way, like access to everybody. Cause I remember when I was with your book, I would like go knock on doors in the classroom. I get to pull people out. There was like a weird, like power or control there that uh, whether I probably didn't realize it at the time or not, like you feel good about yourself when you have that option available to you. Yeah, getting kind of access to things that maybe other people can't. And also, I'm sure it feels like as you're producing content, you know, your readers are almost friends in some sense, you know, so because you know that people will be reading what you write. So that's kind of less lonely in that sense as well. Yeah, but then it's like, that's when you start to take stuff personally. And then it's like, oh, you know, I only had uh, 5,004 page views this month. This means that my work isn't good. And it's like, okay, well, maybe people were busy or, you know, I don't know. Yeah, or maybe you didn't promote it the right way or whatever. Maybe it's not the content, but it's some other piece. Because what's amazing sometimes is there's so many pieces to a lot of things, especially when it comes to online. Like I, I have a, a business and a website and everything and sending out emails, tracking everything, designing everything. It's just, there's so many different components that you can mess up that it's hard sometimes to figure out 
well, which way did I not do this right? And which way can I, you know, improve it so that it's better? But I agree, if you're looking at metrics and trying to, you know, tie that to your self-worth, you're going to have a bad time because at some point, those metrics are going to go down at some point and you're going to feel bad. And even if you're doing everything right, there'll be lulls and there'll be good times. But what's better is to kind of view that as a signal as to whether you're doing things right or not, but less about your, you know, your personal self-worth and value related to what you're doing. Cause if you're, if you're creating things that are useful for people and helping people out, like there shouldn't be much question about what you're doing. You know, it should only, that should only come up more when you're doing something that's kind of dicey or like, sometimes I don't like being very salesy and like pushing things in the sales mentality. So like, sometimes I can feel that way when it comes to even selling something that's good for people. But, you know, a lot of times it's just trying to figure out a way of, of looking at those metrics and, and using them, but not letting it define you kind of thing. Yeah, and it's weird because the the more I kind of come there, we have that kind of ego and that narcissism guiding your work. Like I, I was doing more work and I was having more done. Uh, and then when I started like, you know, taking care of myself, suddenly it's like, okay, well now I can't find a job. And it's like, I, my, uh, I don't want to be like a girlfriend guy, but it was something that <laughs> my girlfriend said that I don't, I wish I could take credit for, but she was like, everyone talks about failing. I said, I was doing this interview. Just like people talk about you know, failing forward, but no one talks about like succeeding backwards or something. And that's kind of how I have felt like since I've started taking care of myself and thinking about like who I am and whatever. And it's probably a, hopefully a, you know, like a short-term lull that'll lead to a long-term jump. But that's uh, something that I I thought of after you had said, I forgot what, I kind of just get into these tangents. Well, when you said, um, so failing forward versus succeeding backwards. So when you say succeeding backward, do you mean looking back with a success mindset on what you could do better? Or what can you just uh, elaborate a little bit on what you think she meant by that? Uh, I think it was probably just like a quick turn of phrase that she probably was just like using to get me to stop yeah. talking. But uh, <laughs> the way I interpreted it was like, I, I was doing and probably from a, you know, external perspective, like my career was going great. And then, uh, you know, I started taking care of myself, quote unquote, and then my career is not going great right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of interpret that as like, okay, well, I'm succeeding internally, but maybe not externally. Yeah. Uh, so that, so kind of along those same lines, a question I like to ask is if you could go back, you know, 10 years or so and give yourself some advice to save yourself some headaches or to give yourself that, you know, pep talk that you need, is there anything specifically you'd go back and tell yourself in order to, to, you know, instill self-confidence or whatever those things you think you know, younger Brian needed? Um, I would say I kind of did a good job of getting to where I wanted to be, but not in a way that like, you know, I, I, when I decided to quit drinking, I was 26 and I'm 28 now. And so 10 years was perfect on that regard. But, Mm -hmm. uh, when I was 26, I kind of was like looking around and I was like, Oh, I have everything I wanted when I was 23, but I don't want any of this now. So thinking more along the lines of like, okay, what do I, what will, you know, 33 year old me want versus what does 28 year old me want? Yeah. I think it's easy to, well, at least for me personally, and I think other people who struggle with addiction probably feel the same way where it's easy to think about the now and only worry about the now and not as much think about the future you five or 10 years down the road, who's going to have to pick up the pieces from whatever it is that you do now. Uh, A lot of times it's easier to just go, well, I can control what happens now. So I'm going to take this drink or do this drug or whatever the thing is where 
a lot of times the hard things working out and exercise and all these other things to keep your body great and your mind right are much harder but give you that long-term benefit it's hard to to really see that person coming in advance but when you reach that point five or ten years down the road you'll definitely be thanking yourself that you did all those things because certainly you regret not doing it when you don't you know yeah and i know that i wouldn't have listened to myself at the time so it doesn't <laughs> totally matter but uh yeah, it's yeah. A, there's definitely an element of like and i haven't done a good job yet because now i'll sit around and be like oh if i were drinking you know i'd be able to you know be I, you know i could say oh, i'm not working and then I have drinking buddies and be like oh i know a guy and it's like now i don't really have a community of people which is partially my doing like i could recreate that and i haven't but there's definitely a, a like oh, i want it now and i still haven't really fixed that which is that's what the problem is it's not the problem wasn't the alcohol the problem was i wanted a an escape or i wanted a uh, something to feel better and I didn't want to work for it. Yeah. The easy way out kind of thing, or, or maybe the, the less difficult path, you know, kind of thing. I'm curious. So based on what you said, one of the segments I like to do is what I call a get out of fail free card or segment. And what I'd like to know is if, if there was no way for you to fail in one specific thing, whether it's a hobby, a career, uh, whatever musical instrument. I don't know what things are interesting to you that are scary because of the amount of failure likely involved. Is there something you would pursue or go forward with if there was no chance of failure? Probably stand up comedy. Nice. That's, that's one of my best choices for that one for me personally. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've done it before and I've, you know, I, usually the way I'll do it is I'll take a class and then I'll like, you'll know, write some material in the class. And then it's kind of like school where, you get to like at the end you have a presentation which is your performance but like having the weekly deadlines really pushes you know gets me motivated to actually finish it it wasn't really self-starting mm-hmm. and then eventually i'd have some material that i'd continue with uh, and but i've stopped like this has happened two or three times now where i'll do it for a while and then I'll, I'll bomb and then i'll stop <laughs> and now i'm in this period of like you know i bombed about a year and a half ago at uh, open mic in new york and i haven't done it since yeah. Uh, so, I mean, there's the failing in that regard, which I think now I don't really, I don't care as much about what other people think, but I still, you know, now I'm like, oh, well, you know, that's not a, you know, you're not going to get health insurance doing stand up comedy or, you know, <laughs> there are people who have worse lives and they're probably going to work harder. Like, not that my life is, is great, but, you know, I think a lot of the people who succeed in that entertainment world are people who kind of don't really have any other choices, mm-hmm. uh, which isn't, again, that's like maybe an excuse I'm telling myself, but probably that to answer your question. I'm curious. Well, one thing is for sure. I think stand-up comedy is one of the only jobs where you're constantly criticized. I mean, like literally every five seconds, some the whole audience is evaluating whether you're funny or not, and you get that feedback immediately. It's like one of the craziest forms of a job, and so I think that's probably one of the scarier parts is that failure baked into it. That's it by definition. Digital marketing is like that because you know you can see the. Uh, you know, how people are acting on a website or, you know, did they convert? Did they do this? You get that instant feedback too. Yeah. Uh, you know, should you? Uh, probably not because that's a privacy infringement that we've normalized <laughs> in society. But uh, yeah, but at least you don't have to look them in the eyes as they're not laughing at you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a, 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 there's a more visceral reaction probably. But I'm curious. So when the times you've been bombing, what what, what was going through your mind? What were the feelings? Because I imagine it's it's bad. But is there any way you dealt with that besides just not doing it anymore was there anything that you kind of worked to get uh, i mean the, la- the last time was alcohol forget and then don't do it again which is obviously <laughs> not the answer yeah the old purge the uh, memory move yeah 
Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I think that's how I've done it in the past. So I, maybe I need to figure out how to fail at stand up and then just be okay with it. Well, one thing that helps me, I don't know if you ever heard of, there's a podcast called kill Tony and they, um, it's a live one and they invite people up to do one minute of stand up, and, and it's usually really bad. And then they interview him about stuff, but it's always made me feel much better about not, not really being good and realizing that everyone still does that and, and has, you know, bad times. Cause a lot of the famous comedians, you'll see their best material and you don't see them not getting laughs, but they have to do that in order to work that stuff out. And I think that's one of the harder parts, but also even feeling okay with saying the same jokes over and over for myself would be hard. Cause it seems almost disingenuous. Yeah. I have that problem too, where I think it's like, even though for them, it's the first time you feel like it's like a weird sales pitch or something. Yeah, because I feel like if you do that in a social setting, it's not as cool. It's not as good if you're telling the same jokes over and over. But with stand-up, it's like what has to happen in order for you to get better at those jokes. But it's just a weird mental block, I think, with me personally and probably a lot of other people where it just feels like you're performing what you are, but it's it feels less natural and funny delivering it. But, you know, if you do it right, the audience will be benefiting from the fact that you tried so hard to, you know, to hone it. Yeah. I, another thing that I, I kind of noticed and one of the excuses that's kept me from going back is I would go to open mics and then every person, like every other person at least, would go up and one of their jokes would be like, okay, so I'm depressed. Uh, and I just kind of kind of came to a sense that everybody who is involved in the comedy community is probably is not like a healthy person mentally, which doesn't mean that is true, but that is yeah. something that I told myself like, okay, well, this isn't good for my mental health to be around this. And I think that is the, you know, what that's based in is people who probably rely on external validation, the crowd, the audience for feelings of self-worth. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of specific, you know, dysfunctions or upbringings or things that tend to make people more likely to do stand-up or at least the, you know, population of stand-up comics are probably in general less, you know, emotionally stable or whatever it is because they have to be in this high intensity environment and really, you know, battle for for people to like them and stuff. It's a, it's kind of a mind fuck the way that a lot of that has to go down in order for you to succeed. So, you know, I think in general people who are more well adjusted would probably just dip out and leave comedy because it's something that is hard to handle unless you've got, you know, some bizarre set of skills to withstand that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like uh, failure or coolness or similar where it's, you know, someone could see somebody leaving comedy and saying like, Oh, they failed. And another person could be like, okay, uh, well, they sit, they're happier. So is that a success? Uh, and it really is like whatever you tell yourself, uh, I guess. Yeah. Or it's up to us to figure out what is important to, to each of us. Cause someone could certainly be, much happier doing a normal day job and some other people would hate to do something like that. So it probably just depends on, on each person. I'm, I'm curious though, is there something now that you're working on that you haven't yet released or that you haven't yet started that you're hoping, I say, what do you hope to fail at next? But hopefully you won't fail that much, but is there something in next big endeavor that you're taking on? Um, I would, so for how cool is this next week, we're going to be doing daily episodes around political ideas and the idea is that we're going to go until the election's called because we have a sense that uh, either one of the candidates is going to be like, oh, let's contest this, or just with the mail-in voting, it's going to last a couple of weeks. So, uh, you know, we have five episodes recorded so far. We need to edit them, but I'm a little nervous that, uh, you know, we're going to, like, 
oh, we're doing this. And then no one's going to send in ideas or, you know, people will send in ideas and we're going to be like, you know, little hamsters in a wheel going <laughs> and yeah, have too doing much. nothing. Uh, but other than that, I think it's like, oh, this is something to do. So I don't have to focus on getting a full-time job. Yeah. I haven't had, uh, you know, health insurance for the first time in my life, which is a little weird for me, but, you know, it doesn't change anything. It's just, and, you know, going through a pandemic without that is a little scary. So it's like, okay, well, maybe I should just like learn how to, you know, code or something. And then I can just mm -hmm. do something I don't like forever. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I, I call what you were saying, active procrastination, where you're not necessarily doing something that furthers your career or whatever, but it's something that interests you and, and takes up some of your time to distract you from the real priorities, which is usually, um, I, I usually have these goals that are not as fun to, to chase down. So I'll do a lot of these other secondary things to, to make me feel like I'm gaining on some of it, even though I'm more likely just distracting myself. Yeah. Productive procrastination. Is yeah. What I, I call it. So I think the same, same concept. Yeah. And, uh, but that sounds really cool. If you ha end up, uh, having a drought of ideas, feel free to let me know and I can see, you know, what I can come up with, but that sounds really interesting. And I agree this election is going to be pretty crazy. So I'm interested, interested to see what happens, but also a little bit scared to see, uh, what, what shakes out. Thankfully we have mail-in voting in Colorado and I've already voted and they sent me an email saying they got my ballot. So at least I know that that went through. I did laugh seeing Kanye West on the ballot. That was, that was. Oh, funny. he was on it. I heard he was mailing somewhere else. He was on ours. That's for sure. I don't know um, if he's everywhere or, or what the rules are, but at least he definitely was on there. There's a lot more names than I had expected to see though. So I think we're, we're just about done. I was curious, is there anywhere that besides how cool is this podcast or uh, maybe influencer DB, if you're still working there, is there anywhere people can look for you or find more about what you're working on these days? Uh, yeah, the, the website for how cool is this is how cool is this dot show. And then I have a website that I'm still kind of working on, but I have a lot of other work I've done. Uh, it's ritzbits.com, R-E-I-T-Z-B-I-T-Z, -I -T -Z, which uh, I actually address the uh, mispronunciation, which is happens every time I introduce myself. And it's like, okay, this is how it's pronounced. And my family told me it's pronounced this way. So I guess this is how I'm doing it. Yeah. And I'll make sure to add those into the show notes. And thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate you taking the time and, you know, being vulnerable and sharing a little bit of yourself with us. And, uh, and I look forward to seeing and hearing more of the, uh, how cool is this podcast? That thing's really cool. And I, uh, would think that that is, is something that's cool when you say, how cool is that? The podcast for appreciate sure it. is in that list. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was, uh, I appreciate your, I think you're, you're similarly, you know, it's not easy to do this kind of stuff. And I think you're a good interviewer. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time.